Welcome to Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, presented by ChangeUp. I'm Owen Shadrick, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Johnny Maffey. Johnny, how are you today? I'm great, Owen. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, whether you're watching or listening. Last night was a big night. Big night last night. It was finally opening night in the Futures League. Two games were played in full. We got a preview of two other teams that got rained out, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Johnny, you were at Campanelli Stadium last night to watch the Suns play the Rocks. How did that go? Well, it was certainly the Suns' night. They cruised to a 14-5 victory over the Brockton Rocks. Player of the night, Michael Gervasi, had three hits, a pair of doubles, four RBIs, and scored two runs himself. So he got off to a hot start, and he was very happy about that. You can see an interview on our Instagram account. Yeah, so we just beat the rain. We were, when we were interviewing Mike, it was drizzling a little bit, so we clearly just beat it. It was lightning storm the whole way home. But uh, I know you didn't get to see a lot, but what happened in New Britain? Yeah, in New Britain, Jagger Duquette, the, one of the best names in the Futures League, gets pitcher of the night after keeping New Britain in it. The Norwood Sea Unicorns were up 6-3 to three early, but the Bees staged another comeback, something they did a lot last season, to end up winning it. And again, Duquette, three innings, no hits, no runs, two walks, two Ks, earns himself pitcher of the night. In Worcester, the Bravehearts and Westfield Starfires could not even get four innings in. They were rained out. It will be made up at a date later. But speaking of the Starfires, we had the Starfires Director of Player Personnel, Hunter Golden, on this podcast. Really excited for you guys to hear this interview. Yeah, Hunter was awesome. Uh, he joked around saying he was he's been on some Boston local media stations and he he bored people too much. It wasn't boring at all, though. It was very entertaining and it was a lot of fun talking to him and getting to know how he builds a summer baseball team, whether it's in the NECBL or here in the futures, which is what we're all about. Yeah, Hunter Golden, not a boring man, can confirm that 100%. And without further ado, we present our episode with Hunter Golden. Let's roll. At this time, we are honored to be joined by our next guest, who is entering his second year in Westfield as the Director of Player Personnel. It's Hunter Golden of the Westfield Starfires. Hunter, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thanks for having me, guys. It's opening day, so I'm doing great. Yes, we are recording this on Wednesday morning. It is opening day in the Futures League. We are super excited to finally have Futures League Baseball back. And getting right to the point, what is your day-to-day like with the Starfires, and how have you prepared for opening day? Um, you know, the day to day for us, you know, is just obviously, you know, trying to get through the first week, you know, a lot of seasons have gone later this year and our season is starting earlier. So obviously trying to get as many guys in right now, life is all about logistics. So getting guys in, getting them squared away with housing, you know, and getting everybody set up and settled in has been, has been the, uh, the big priority, but I know, you know, I, I could speak on behalf of everybody in our organization, you know, that we're, we're just really happy to be having a, as close to normal of a futures league season as we could possibly hope for at this point, you know, we're kind of uh, at an interesting point as an organization, you know, in the sense that in a lot of ways from a programming build, from a program building perspective, this is kind of our first real year, you know, obviously back in, in 2019, you know, Donnie and Chris did a spectacular job sort of putting everything together and getting it out there. But, you know, from like a meaningful, like what are the building blocks of a program going to be standpoint, you know, there, there's not a lot that you can draw from an experience like that in year one. And then obviously we had plans in year two and then COVID hit 
And, you know, last year was, was crazy. And while we certainly had a bunch of really talented guys uh, come through the door with everything going on, there was nothing normal about it, you know? So the usual things that you would do and include in a summer season, a lot of those things weren't there. So for us, you know, I think there's a particular excitement with us this year in the sense that we finally really get to get to get to work in terms of putting a, a program in place that's that's built to last. Yeah, definitely. So you talk about some of those building blocks. You certainly have those and Jimmy Hagan, Braden Seberg, and Justin Butts, like you mentioned uh, before we started recording. What's it like to have those guys back and have some veteran leadership for, like you said, your first real year? You know, it's one thing in summer ball, you know, getting returners is always great because it just gives you continuity. It's guys that are sort of, you know, they've been through the routine, they know the staff, they know who to go to. And I think it's an underrated part of the experience for a lot of players. I mean, I think there's a lot of guys out there, you know, they're coming in from all over the country and out of town and, you know, they don't know where to go to get things. They don't know where to go to get something done. They don't know who to talk to, you know, and these guys sort of serve as a, as a cultural bridge, so to speak for a lot of our new guys in there and that, and they can model a lot of the way that we like to go about doing things. And that's, that's not even getting in to the things that we're, we're excited about, like with them taking jumps as players, you know, obviously Jimmy Hagan is an entirely different animal than he was last year. So we're really excited to see the jump that he makes. We're really excited to see what Braden can build on, you know, having a really successful first year season last year with us. You know, and then obviously Justin, you know, we all know the scoop with him. He's a super competitive kid. He throws hard. You know, he's going to be a big piece of the back end of our bullpen. So, you know, have those three guys coming back, you know, is a real treat and, and it's, and it's a real benefit to the rest of the team. Yeah. And among the new guys on your roster is a returner to the futures league, Jackson Peterson, who was the MVP yeah. of the all-star game in 2019 and was an all FCBL member that year, first team member that year as well. How did you recruit him and what's it going to be like having him on your team this season? So he kind of fell through the cracks with us. And obviously it being still COVID land to a degree in the college baseball world, there's just been a lot of roster movement. And, you know, logistics have been a real challenge, not just for our organization, but for everybody all across the country. And so there are players floating out there right now that you wouldn't normally see floating out there at, at this time of year. And obviously our, our, our uh, you know, our head coach, Tony Deschler, you know, was talking to one of his players who's also going to be returning to the league, Christian Beal, up at Bates. He's going to be transferring into Richmond next year, Sol Jackson. And, um, you know, it just sort of came together. They had been talking and were thinking about potentially playing together this summer. And uh, one thing led to another and we were able to, uh, we were able to, to nail him down. So, I mean, he is a hell of a player. We're going to have him there tonight, hopefully, in the opening day lineup, and, and we're excited to see what he can do in Starfire's uniform. Yeah, we're really excited to have Jackson back in the Futures League. And besides Jackson, who are some new or notable players that fans should be looking out for this summer? You know, I think I think the one thing that that folks will probably notice most about our roster, I mean, we we have a lot of depth. You know, I think last year we had a lot of guys that flashed a lot of high level pro tools. You saw a lot of strength, you saw a lot of power. You saw a lot of speed. Uh, our roster this year is just built up ball players. you know, guys that play every single day. They they're, they're hitting in the middle of the order at school, the top of the order, they're fringe all conference kind of guys. You know, that's what we really tried to prioritize this year. Our starting rotation 
is mostly all division one starters, guys that started in college baseball this year. You know, I think we really try to play, you know, play, place a premium on that. You know, I mean, that's not to, not to sort of brush aside anybody, but you know, when, when we talk to college coaches, you know, they can, they can tell you a lot of things about a player and they can tell you about their tools and that what they're like and, and their attitude and all those things. But at the end of the day, when you sort of brush all the window dressing aside, you can learn a lot most about what you need to know about a player by how a coach plays them, how much he plays them and where he plays them and how he uses them, you know? And so we really, again, whenever we're talking to any program that we're trying to get players from, that's what we're trying to prioritize. So, you know, we're really excited for the guys that we've got coming in. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, who really steps forward and, and, and impresses the most this year. So you talked about those high pro tools that, um, that you had last summer. I saw you at the FCBL tryout last Friday where Shane Audette steamed, seemed to steal the show amongst the pitchers. Yeah. Besides, uh, besides nine being the first number on the radar gun, what do you see in him and what does he bring to the staff? So, I mean, we're going to be taking our time with Shane. I mean, I think, you know, he's obviously got high, high level stuff and, you know, he's just such a fascinating story. You know, here is a guy that was, I think for a large part of his college career, sort of grossly overlooked and was a guy that had an enormous amount of success uh, in the league back in 2018, then obviously got hurt, had Tommy John, and then had some nerve damage after that. So it had to have even more surgery after that. And then COVID hit. So he's kind of been floating out there, just itching to get back to competing, rehabbing and getting better. You know, when you know, he was in the league before, he was a high 80s, brushing up against 90s kind of pitcher. I mean, sort of your prototypical, obviously very talented prototypical yeah. run-end D3 starter, kind of what you would expect in that profile. I know I speak on behalf of everybody <laughs> who was sitting behind that backstop the other yeah. day. Nobody was expecting to see 95 come popping across the radar on that first pitch. And I mean, he sat there, he's, you know, it, the velocity sat there. He spun yeah, the ball he, well. He definitely stayed I mean, there. Yeah. We're really, really excited. And so, you know, we're going to take things slow with him. You know, we're going to, he, he's going to start, you know, we're going to be giving him sort of a limited pitch count innings early on and we're going to build him up. But our hope is by the time we hit July, he's going to be locked and loaded and ready to go. And if he does what he can do, he's going to be a really exciting pitcher in this league to pay attention to. Yeah, and we talked about the tryout, and obviously he was the biggest name there, but what was it like generally being at the tryout and watching some of these guys get the chance to showcase their talents and try and make a Futures League team? Yeah, well, I mean, for me personally, it was very hot. As you can see, I, I'm still wearing the effects of the tryout day. I'm kind of colored, shaded like a tomato right now and still kind of recovering myself. But <laughs> I love tryout days and things like Shane coming out and pumping 95 is why you love baseball. So you go... And you're kind of expecting, you know, who, who are some guys that, you know, maybe can can sneak up through the cracks and, and possibly help you. I love finding guys that are off the radar. Even when I was with the Valley Blue Sox, the NECBL for years, one of my favorite things was, you know, I was, I was never a big power five conference guy, never a guy that liked to chase the big toolboxes at the big schools. I liked finding those dudes at the mid-major, lower D1 level, high-end D2 level, 
that weren't getting the respect that they deserved, that were fantastic players and just needed a chance to be able to compete amongst their peers and prove it. So I, I love going to tryouts like that. It was a great experience. We picked up a couple guys, obviously. Pat Galvin from Worcester State is going to be uh, transferring into Augustana next year. Is going to be with us for a little bit here. Among some other guys, Matt Matika from LaSalle is going to be, you know, catching in the bullpen and, and helping us out a little bit early on here. So we picked up a couple guys, you know, I think we're going to, are going to be able to help us early on and, and, and who knows, we'll see what happens and, and, and maybe they stick. Yeah. You're certainly in the business of, you know, finding those kids under the radar and uh summer ball and leagues like the futures league is definitely where kids can make a name for themselves when given the opportunity. Before we get back to our interview with Hunter Golden, We want to share a message from our friends at 78 Sports. Do you have kids playing baseball or softball? We all know practice time is limited, especially here in New England. Not to mention the cost of lessons and cage time can add up very quickly. Save yourself time and money by giving your kids what they need to work on their game at home. Our friends at 78 Sports can help you put together the perfect at-home training setup. Whether you want to start small with just a tee and hitting net or looking to set up a full cage with turf and a pitching machine, they have you covered. The team at 78 Sports has designed and installed hundreds of home and commercial sports training facilities, so let them help you plan the perfect setup for your space. Visit 78 Sports' website at 78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight, sports.com. For a limited time, by mentioning Back to the Futures, you'll receive a 10% discount off your order. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight, sports.com. Now... Back to our interview with Hunter Golden. You touched on recruiting tactics a little bit and relationships with coaches. How important is it, especially here in New England, to have those relationships, whether it's, you know, the mid-majors or uh, high-end D2, and now in the futures where you're working with the Starfires, those D3 coaches and those programs? It's, it's a different league from the NECBL. I'd say my recruiting profile, and I'm not, not saying this to puff myself up, but it's probably more national. You know, I'd say my wheelhouse has always sort of been down south and in the Midwest. I love conferences like the OVC and the Southland Conference. There's just always guys hanging around down there that can make big jumps. I've enjoyed being able to work with New England coaches more in this league. I'd argue Roster building in this league, I think, is significantly more difficult than it is in the NECBL. I mean, in the NECBL, I I don't think the moniker of the mid-major cape necessarily is accurate, but it's not untrue either. It's a pretty easy sell to kind of go and pick and choose the guys that you want. Whereas here, you know, you you have to compete. You have to compete and recruit guys to get them. So it's been fun to do that. Obviously, there's some more projection that's involved there too. This league's a fun league to be in. It's been great to continue to build those relationships with the guys up here in New England. There's so so many good baseball players here, especially under the radar ones, you know, and it's, it's been a fun learning experience for me in the past two years. To have success for a program, a summer program, you want to have, you know, the, the big guys, the, the talented guys that are on the D1 and D2s, but then, you know, you might have some coaching restrictions, whether it's a pitch count or, you know, innings or at bats for an outfielder say, but then you have D3 kids that play every day and make a name for themselves. So how do you balance that? And how do you tell your coach to balance that? And how do, how do the coaches trust you to balance that and take care of their kids? I mean, when we're talking, there's, there's a lot to break down there. So I mean, I think, I think, I think the first thing is when you're building a roster is finding players that are going to get value from the experience of being with your program and in your league, right? Players are coming to play. They're playing, they're coming to get better, right? What can you offer them? That's going to be of value to them. I have kind of this 
funny story. I remember after 2016, you know, we had a couple with the Blue Sox, we had had a couple players from the University of Texas. One of them's one of the freakiest athletes I've probably ever had on a roster. One of them was sort of a, a league average, above average reliever. And another guy was sent out probably because they weren't sure if they wanted to renew a scholarship. And so for that league, it was kind of the standard issue package. And I remember talking to our manager at the time, John Rayola, after the season and going, you know, let's be honest, like, what are we going to do as a program? And given where we're at, literally located in the world, you know, what are we going to do to make a kid from the University of Texas happy here? Right. So he plays in a 7,000 seat stadium every day. Roger Clemens is just chilling in the locker room. He has air conditioning TV in his lockers. He has a nutrition center. He has a dining hall in his own weight room. He has more gear than he has clothes. Their own TV network. He has an ESPN and Brandon network. That's all about him, right? Three months of the year. And he has a, he lives in housing that's overlooking the fastest growing real estate market in the United States. So we're going to take that guy and fly him from conservative Texas all the way across the country to the liberal heart of America in Western Massachusetts and play in Holyoke and be fine with that. And it's not to say that they're, they're, they're bad kids for that. They're not, right? But players at that level come with expectations, right? They come with, you know, they're, they're talented players. You know, they come with expectations. Expectations that maybe we're not built to meet. That's not that we're not good enough to coach them or the, 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 that, that they're too good for the league. That has nothing to do with it. It's a cultural fit, right? And it's a value fit. What are they going to get out of this experience? So I want to go after that kid, you know, and, and we really try to prioritize that kid. I tell coaches, I don't, I don't have a beach, you know, like I don't, I don't have boutique store restaurants that you can go and wear boat shoes and matching collared shirts with your parents to like a beach that you can take a walk with your girlfriend. Like I need ball players. I want guys that when they wake up in the morning, the first thing they want to do is grab their back, grab their glove and go and compete and get better every single day. That guy is going to do really well in Westfield. That guy is going to do really well in Holyoke, right? And it's just, again, it's a cultural fit and there's a value to him being there. You know, so when I'm going to some of these smaller mid-major schools, they're thrilled to send you their guys. And if you take care of them year after year, your job gets a lot easier because I don't have to sit there hunting and fishing through stats wondering, you know, oh man, is this the right guy to be there? Because you have that relationship with a coach built up. You know that these guys are the guys. They're used to being captains. They've done summer ball before. They have track record. There's, there's not guesswork to do. They're a 300 hitter. They're a 300 hitter, right? So you're not projecting. You're, you're, you're going out there and you're getting a player where you don't have to do any guesswork. So you know you're getting a good player that's going to come into the league, right? And he's going to be, you know, he's going to, he's going to get value out of the experience. He's going to be a good player. It's going to help you win games, right? But he's also going to be challenged, right? He's also going to get challenged, but he's going to be in an atmosphere and for all these fans and the stadiums that we have in this league, he's going to feel like a million bucks, right? He's going to feel like a million bucks. He's going to feel taken care of. You know, and he's going to feel like he's a part of something. And that player is going to come here. He's going to have a great experience. And when he goes back to college, he's going to be a better player than when he came to us. And who's that going to make really happy? The coach. So we're winning baseball games. The player's getting better, you know, and the coaches in college are happy. And if those three things are aligning, you can't go wrong. So, you know, that's what we really try to 
prioritize when we're building our roster. We want guys that are going to come in that play every day and, and, and we can help get to the next level. And they're going to see uh, an intense level of value and being experienced. And then the other thing that happens is when they go back to those programs, they're wearing your gear from the summer, you know, when they're in the weight room, they're hanging out with their buddies, guys talk about their summer ball experiences. And if it's a bad experience, coaches are going to hear about it. Other players are going to hear about it. And so, you know, you really want to make sure that you're taking care of your guys and you're getting guys in there that mentality wise, not just talent wise, are going to be a good fit for where you are. And um, so that's really what we look for, you know, more than anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I hope that answers that. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And it's great that we have ball players in this league and that's, that's all around the league. It's not just in Westfield. So that's great to hear. And going back even further in your history, how did you initially get in touch with Westfield about joining the Starfires? <laughs> so, you know, after, you know, I was kind of, you know, I was with the Blue Sox for five or six years. I'd run my own business prior to that for about five or six years. And so after about, you know, 11, 10 years of being just on the, on the run all the time, you know, I was kind of worn out and took a job at American International College and, and was working there. And it's funny, you know, I have known Chris for almost 20 years now, and we've had kind of a unique relationship over the years. Obviously, Chris, prior to the Starfires, uh, was a vice president with the Springfield Thunderbirds, the then Springfield Falcons. Obviously, I was with the Valley Blue Sox, and they're one of the more prominent baseball teams out here in the Springfield market. So Chris and I were kind of, you know, we, we had owners from out of town. So we were the guys here every day you know, in the grind. So if there was sponsorships being negotiated, partnerships being put together, you know, selling groups, the whole nine yards, you know, Chris and I were the kind of the, the public faces more or less of the franchises in the area. We kind of quietly work together. You know, it's not often you get somebody that's sort of been through what you've been through, right? We used to pass notes under the desk about sponsorship contacts and, you know, try to help each other out and figure out ways to cross promote. You know, when they're successful, we're successful. You know, we're in competing, we're in different seasons. We're not really competitors. So we really kind of try to behind the scenes, partner up and, and, and help each other out. And then Donnie, <laughs> I joke with Donnie all the time. I've probably been introduced to Donnie more than any human being I've ever met in my entire life. I've probably been introduced to Donnie by somebody else close to 12 times at various like lunch meetings that I've had with people. And Diane and I have never really worked together, but we were always in very concentric circles. We always had very similar business associates. So we were very aware of each other. And so I had kind of been watching from a distance when Chris and Donnie put this whole thing together. And, you know, I was obviously really excited for the both of them, you know, and they had approached me, I want to say late to that, like August, 2019. And the Starfires came together. It was fast. I mean, <laughs> things escalated quickly. They were approved by the league and then had to get an entire organization up running and then build a team within about two and a half, three months. I mean, that's insane when you think about it. And just to get to where they did in year one was an incredible achievement. But, you know, obviously on the baseball side, it was, it was rushed. They, they, it was just what they had to do. And it wasn't, wasn't what they wanted it to be at the end of the day. So, you know, they had approached me because they knew I was on the shelf at the time and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in doing this? And pretty easy decision for me to make. And, you know, I think the biggest part of really any sports franchise, whether it's the futures league or it's the big leagues, ownership matters. Your owners matter. And when I left the blue Sox, I always said to myself, I'm never, I'm not ever going to go to an organization where the ownership isn't spectacular. 
Chris and Donnie get it. They're sports guys, you know, um, and they complement each other very well. You know, Chris is this very gregarious out in the community. He's the big vision guy. The, the higher the weeds, the happier Donnie is. Like he likes being down in the nuts and bolts and running the day to day. You know, they understand each other very well. They have a very high uh, level of self-awareness, the both of them, and they complement each other well. And they also have a lot of humility, which you don't always find. A lot of owners sometimes like to step in and, and have a say in what's going on and take deep pride in, in, in their own networks and want to feel like they're part of the, the baseball side of the equation, right? But that can frustrate things sometimes. And Chris and Donnie are two guys that are like, we know what we know, we know what we don't know, you know, and kind of gave me sort of blank canvas and carte blanche to kind of come in and build a program from scratch, which, you know, coming from the Blue Sox, which early on was mostly a salvage job. I, I, I kind of hesitate to even call it a rebuilding job. It was a literal salvage job, you know, coming from that, coming to this, it's going to be a lot of fun to sort of create whatever we want. And so, you know, now that we're at a point where we're going to be able to sort of have a full normal season, we're sort of excited to get out there. We're experimenting with some things this year to see how they're going to work. Some things will go spectacularly well, some things will not, but we're just excited to get back out there. But the decision to come over to the league and, and work with Chris and Donnie um, was a really easy one for me. Yeah, that's fantastic. And CT and Donnie, good friends of the podcast. So very excited oh, yeah. to see that the Starfires are up and running. All right. So you also dabbled in the sports media field as an editor for ESPN. You graduated in with a degree in communication journalism from Springfield. What made you want to work in sports and how has your uh, career, you know, changed through the different sub industries of sports? So I've had a wild journey to baseball and then, and then in baseball. So yeah, obviously, I mean, I graduated with a degree in sports journalism. That's really what I wanted to get into. And when I got out of school, I actually took a job. This was back 06, 07 with AIG just to take a job. I had no finance background, no nothing. I needed money. So I took what I could get. And I ended up in mergers and acquisitions in the subprime lending division in 2007. So I had a ringside seat for the financial, uh, for the financial collapse. Quickly thereafter, when the bottom fell out on everything, they had closed the majority of their offices in Massachusetts. They laid off 800 employees. They kept five. I was one of them. They transferred me to Connecticut. They laid everybody off there too, kept 10 people. I was one of them and they offered to transfer me to Pittsburgh. I said, thank you, no thank you. And uh, took my severance and, uh, and went on the old dole. Uh, for a couple months trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do, which I knew definitely was not finance anymore. And so to kind of scratch the itch while I was down, I decided to try and take some stringing jobs, you know, with out-of-town newspapers so that I could get, you know, I didn't have money, so I could <laughs> I could get into baseball games for free and go check out the Rock Cats and everything else and write stories for out-of-town papers. And while I was kind of looking for jobs with that, um, I started to notice these copywriting job boards, you know, uh, all over the internet. And this is just as so social media was really starting to explode. So content was at, writing content was at a premium. And so I started to apply for these gigs and just started getting them. And one became another, became another, became another. And about four months into it, I mean, you know, I was making twice what I was making at AIG. And my wife's like, why are you even looking for a job? You well, clearly already have one. And so my peak with that, you know, I was writing with City, Timberland, Pepsi, and working on, working with some pretty significant accounts, working with, you know, uh, ad agencies like Ruderfin Digital and, and Deutsch and some others down in New York City. And during that time, to sort of scratch the itch, um, you know, I was writing for Firebrand of the American League, which, 
at the time was one of the largest Red Sox blogs on the internet. You know, sort of us, Over the Monster, you know, some of the usual suspects that everybody knows about. And, you know, I kind of got got into advanced metrics and saber metrics back in the late 90s, just, just before it kind of came into vogue. I used to, uh, I went to Salisbury School and obviously, you know, it's an all guys school. So plenty to do on the weekends, as you can imagine. And so I used to have a subscription to Bill James's monthly newsletter. So I just used to read that and, and drown myself in it. I was a terrible baseball player, but I was always passionate about the sport. And I come from a baseball family. My uncle pitched for the Pirates in the early 70s, won a World Series with them. You know, my dad got drafted by the Cincinnati Reds, but, but thought that playing rock and roll was the, was the better career choice in the early 70s. You know, so I came from a baseball family and sort of had this analytical background in baseball. I've been on EEI a couple times, uh, did 98.5, Tusher and Rich a couple times and put everybody to sleep. And so everything sort of came together with the Blue Sox in 2013. And the team at the time was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And a guy from out of town named Clark Eckhoff would own a North League, Northwoods League franchise and had, had bought the team. And the previous owner, things had not gone well. Bills were not paid. Sponsors had been burned. Uh, players had miserable experiences. We didn't have enough bats, apparently, our game in 2012. They didn't have enough game balls. Things got so bad with the city at one point that the city had driven a tractor up onto the pitcher's mound and refused to move it until the lease had been paid up to date. So that was what we walked in the door to. And what Clark purchased and what he got were ent two entirely different things. So imagine being from out of town, you know, um, you're used to just a franchise that hums right along and you're sitting in the middle of Holyoke, Massachusetts with a team that is an abject disaster and you know nobody in the area. And that was Clark's situation. So what do you do? Do you fold it or do you try to make a run at it? Clark was a fighter at the time and said, you know, talk with some folks that, that were in the ballpark and said, you know, hey, why don't you put a community advisory board together? And so my name just had gotten pinballed around just because of, you know, obviously what I've been doing in, in the blogging world and I was local. I sat on the community advisory board for about a month and uh, Clark and I just really hit it off. He went home to, to Wisconsin for a couple of weeks and came back and asked me out to lunch. And he said, look, you know, you obviously have a great marketing background. You, know, you understand new media really well. And you got a great back baseball background too, which you'd like to be my general manager. And so that's how everything came together. And then, and then the rest was history and we had a really successful run there I enjoyed my time there, but it was, it was certainly an experience, you know, going from those first few months. I mean, I'm, he never said it outright, but I'm pretty sure he didn't have enough money to pay me for more than three months. So that's where we were when we started. We're eventually able to build the Blue Sox and do a team that you know, had one of the top 10 attendances in the country in summer college baseball and was the number one team in summer college baseball two years in a row. So within five years. So we're really proud of what we accomplished there and sort of been a whirlwind for me, but here we are <laughs> back with a new team and a new project. Yeah. That's quite the journey and great that you finally ended up in Westfield with the Starfires, among other things. Before we return to our interview with Hunter Golden. We want to share a message from our friends at on-demand storage. Are you tired of living in clutter? Do you need more space around your home or office? Are you sick of visiting your self-storage unit? Does your business need a way to securely and conveniently store excess materials? On-demand storage will pick up your items directly from your location and bring them in storage for you. When you want something back, give us a call and we can deliver it back right away. We bring convenience to the outdated self-storage process. Visit ondemandstorage.com and submit an inquiry. During sign-up, mention the Futures League and receive 50% off your storage pickup. Once again, that's on-demand storage, 
all one word, dot com. We now return to our interview with Hunter Golden. And before we get to our final segment, a couple more questions for you. But one we have to ask as a member of the Starfires. Describe Bullen's magic to the fans. What is it? And how do the Starfires continue to create that each and every night? So Bullen's magic is, is, is really our ability to come from behind and the field's ability to assist in those come from behind victories. I would argue that third base at Bullen's field is the single scariest place to stand in the entire Futures League. Balls take hops there that are mind-bending. Routine ground balls turn into doubles, sometimes triples. Balls can bounce over the foul line just at the opportune location. They can ricochet off short stops. They can bounce over your head one foot when they bounce one foot in front of your body. Um, the hops that happen over there are wild. And no lead is ever quite safe at Bullens, and especially when we're the ones being able to take advantage of it late in, late in game. So this year, I'm, I'm hoping that we depend a lot less on the Hocus Pocus and focus more on some Bullens beatdowns this year so we can have some 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 easy eighth and ninth innings. That would be nice. We're serving Dippin' Dots, and we have our own beer, so I would like to partake in that in the eighth and ninth inning and uh, not have to really worry about what's going to happen in the game. But that's, that's Bullens magic in a nutshell, man. And we're looking forward to seeing it again this season. Again, hopefully with a little less turmoil in the eighth and ninth inning, as you said, but we're excited to see it. <laughs> and before we get to our final segment, how about a message to Starfire fans as it is finally opening day? We're just so ready for fans to come back. We're so ready for you guys to come back to the park. We're going to have an exciting team this year that's going to play hard and produce some really exciting baseball. Um, you know, Westfield is a baseball community's baseball community. It is very much baked into the DNA of the folks um, that, that live and grow up there. And we're just really excited to be back on the field, have them back. I mean, you know, last year, you know, yes, we were able to have some fans in the park and, and it was great to just play baseball, but it's no replacement for having a packed Bowens field. So we're just really looking forward to seeing everybody out come Come drink a Starfire's IPA. Come dive into those dipping dots. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun this season. Yeah, Bullen's magic begins the 27th when the Starfires host the Vermont Lake Monsters. So really excited to see that. In the meantime, though, we move on to our final segment. It's called Quick Hits. It's presented by Zephyr, the official on-field head of the Futures League. Zephyr, high quality and innovative design since 1993. So, Hunter, a couple more questions for our audience to get to know you better. Is that cool? That's all right. All right, let's do it. Favorite player to come through the Starfire organization in your tenure? Favorite player. Oh my God. Now you're putting me on the spot. So during my tenure, obviously that would be, be last year. The two guys that I probably find myself talking about most, number one, Dave Matthews, um, who was with us for all of three weeks, two weeks, maybe last year uh, with Central Connecticut State. Dave was just one of those guys that, you know, had we had him probably a week earlier, we probably would have snuck into the playoffs. But he was just one of those players that like every game, he did something that you were like, wow, did you see what Dave Matthews did today? Um, you know, whether it was running home. I mean, his first routine base hit hit to him, he hosted a kid at the plate by about four feet. You know, it was just sort of what he did. Um, great instincts for the game and just a really exciting, fun player to watch. The other guy that, that I just, just enjoyed watching play was Johnny Chuchillo, who I think was the most underrated player in the league last year. I, it still really chaps my hide that he wasn't all league. Tooch was another guy that just like, 
just like Dave would do something every game that you'd say, wow, I mean, the New Britain game that was on TV that first game, Johnny hosed a guy at second, skied a ball into right field down the first baseline, which was absolutely hilarious. Wasn't even a call for a snap throw. Absolutely skies a ball down the line, gets up the next inning and hits a tank to left center field. And that was just Johnny Tooch in, in a nutshell. So those guys were, were guys that I really just enjoyed watching playing um, and were big personalities and, and guys that I'll, I'll probably never forget. Yeah, that's awesome. Two great stories right there. And then how about favorite ballpark you've attended as a fan? I'm going to catch heat for one. Number one for me is probably my old home park, which was Wakona Park. I grew up in the Northwest corner of Connecticut. My first internship in college was with the Berkshire Eagles. So I covered the last year of professional baseball uh, up at Wakona Park in Pittsfield. And I love the quirkiness of it. I love the old time feel. There's still something that's that's really strange. I get a very strange sensation when I go to that park relative to other ones. So it was funny. I've, I've been to New Britain Stadium a bunch of times, you know, obviously with the Rockcats being there over the years. And I remember going there when I was younger and it feeling very big and then going in last year and being like, oh, it's a small park. And like, you know, when you get older, things shrink, you know, in their scales in terms of the scale. When I used to go to Pittsfield, you know, my first game was five years old. You know, and went there, My, you know, we used to go several times a year for, for 10 years. And it always felt so big to me. I still go back there and there's just, it's not a big park at all. I mean, it, it's, it's not much, right? It still feels big to me for some reason. And I can't, it, it's really hard to, to recreate that sensation. You know, um, I'm way less of a guy that talks about ballpark amenities and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm a big vibe guy. And I get a vibe at Wakona Park that I don't, I don't really get anywhere else, to be honest with you. I mean, it's a very unique thing because it's not the most spacious park. It's not the most luxurious park. It doesn't have the best group spaces and skyboxes and all this. There's just something so wonderfully authentic about it. And uh, I'm also very, very excited to get up to Centennial Park this year up in Burlington. And, you know, it's crazy when I interned at the Eagle, they just kind of let me loose and said, well, if you want to go on the road, go on the road. And this was back at the old New York Penn League circuit. So I've been to all of those old parks. The one I didn't go to uh, was Centennial Park. And I have never been. I, I, we're big Montreal hounds in my family. We go up to Montreal at least once a year and we drive past all the time. I've still never been to Centennial Park. So it is definitely going to be wild to finally check that off the checklist and, and be there when a team that I helped put on the field is, is going to be playing in, in the park. So I'm very much looking forward to that this year. Yeah, and you talk about sensations. There's nothing better than that. Watching your team play at a park that you went to as a kid and one that you're trying to go to. That's great. And then how about a sports stadium or event that's on your bucket list? So two, and it's actually, it's, 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 it's probably both soccer. I, I, before I die, I have to stand on the yellow wall at, at Borussia Dortmund in Germany. And I don't know if you guys know anything about the yellow wall. It is one stand in Signal Iduna Park. It is 24,000 fans large, and it is a stand. There's no seats. And it goes straight up like a ski jump. And it's behind the visiting goal, and it comes to life during games. The TIFOs they do, the celebrations, it's ornate, and it's just, it looks like chaos. I'm kind of scared of it, but I kind of want to do it to experience it. And then uh, the other one uh, is, is kind of a, a little bit of a hipster answer, I guess, but um, one of the most intense rivalries sports rivalries in the world is Boca Juniors and, and River Plate 
in Argentina, played in the uh, in the in the Copa Libertadores final a uh, couple years ago. And I mean, take the Red Sox and Yankees, take Auburn and Alabama, and inject it with steroids times fifty. I mean, it is a rivalry that is something beyond our ability as Americans to really understand. They let they met each other in the Copa Libertadores final, which is like the European Cup there a couple of years ago in the final. They couldn't finish the second leg because things just got too out of control. The, I think that it was the Boca Juniors bus got pepper sprayed on the way into the stadium. So they had to cancel it and they moved the final off the continent to Real Madrid. The Boca Stadium, the Bombonera, is another one of those sort of ski jump soccer stadiums where the stands go straight up. So you're not really going out, right? The fans are right on top of it. And they say the place gets rocking so crazy that the whole stadium moves. And what the crowd will do is they have cadence and cheers where they try to get the stadium swirling in a particular direction all at once. And so while that may be very dangerous and might potentially cost me my life, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie. So we're going to have to try to check that one out sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's quite the story. And that would be an unbelievable opportunity. So that's that's fantastic. And if you were walking out to the dish or coming out to the mound, what would be your walk-up music? I'm a big psychological warfare guy. I think if I was a pitcher, Banana Phone by Raffi would kill it. I don't think guys would know what to do. I'd go with either one of those. I'm, I'm a guy that doesn't take himself too seriously, you know? So I want to come out to something that's really dumb that fans will remember <laughs> and uh, remember me by. Even if I go out there and hit 200, at least I'll like, listening to the stupid song that plays when I come, to, come up to the plate to embarrass myself. Yeah. The ones that the fans remember are always the most popular. So that's, that's a respectable answer right there. We got actually a funny story on that. We had a, a, a mini fan revolt a couple of years ago with the Valley blue Sox. We signed this kid from, from uh, Southern Maine and he came out to John Denver's country boy. And it was a live version of it. So it was all the clapping and everything. Everybody would start, it just caught on and everybody would start singing it. And, you know, he was on a temp contract that just kind of became more than a temp. Um, and he lasted until like late June. So we got like 20, 15, 20 home games in the season. And obviously we had to let him go because one of our full guys came in. The fans were not, not happy about it at all. And the ironic part of that is after we cut him, he got picked up by Sanford and hit a game winning triple against us. Uh, a game tying triple against us in the division series championship series. So poo poo on us. Yeah. But Hey, still had a good walk-up song. So that's all that matters. Oh yeah. And then how about favorite big league team and big league player, whether it's current or historical. Um, so favorite team, I'm a Red Sox fan through and through. I come through, a come from an all AL East household. Dad was a diehard Yankees season ticket holder. I was a Red Sox fan. My mom comes from Toronto. My sister's a contrarian, so she's a Baltimore Orioles fan. My favorite player growing up, Dwight Evans. No doubt about it. Most underrated b- baseball player in, in Red Sox history. Should be in the Hall of Fame. All right, and what about a baseball nickname? With a name like Golden, I'm sure uh, you don't need a nickname, but anything they uh, they call you? No, I don't have a nickname. I mean, I had some nicknames in college, but I can't tell people what that is. Uh, this is a family program. <laughs> what about uh, any superstitions? No, I'm not a big superstition guy. I'm an insane pacer. I mean, if you ever come and it's a close game, I don't sit still very well. And I don't, um, especially in big games, I don't have a very good poker face. The last last three outs of our first championship run with the Blue Sox could have been a highlight, Hunter Golden highlight reel into it. I was was a mess. Throw that on your your perfect game profile. (laughs) There you go. A mess. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, <laughs> the next question is your favorite ballpark food or beverage, but you also have to tell us about the Starfire IPA. Well, it is Starfire IPA because it's insanely awesome that number one, we have our own beer. Number two, it's actually good. <laughs> like this is, this is, this is re- the real deal. And I'm an IPA hound. I am an absolute IPA hound. And we come from a place out here in Western Massachusetts where we have so many microbreweries that it's really mm-hmm. hard to stand out. I look, I have been looking very, very, very forward to Starfire's IPA. Donnie and Chris had to kind of beat me back from the beer garden last year when I would go out there after games trying to hound them for four packs. So I'm going to have to, when I get my contract renewed, I'm going to have to go out there and make sure that that gets worked into it. So Starfire <laughs> IPA is legit. It is the real deal. My favorite ballpark food I did eat the two foot long hot dog down at the Frisco Rough Riders have. That was a rough one. (laughs) Two foot long chili dog. And I mean, there's jalapenos on it. So I know I got, I I worked up my courage and, and went down and got it, I think in the third inning and really right about the sixth inning, seventh inning is when the suffering started, but I toughed it out. I got through the end of the game and didn't have a very good rest of my night. But I got through it. I survived it, and I say that I can do. I can say that I did it. That's what it's all about. What about okay. uh, you, a bu- bubblegum guy or a sunflower seeds guy? Seeds, seeds for sure. <laughs> Last question of our quick hit segment presented by Zephyr. What's your favorite all-time baseball memory? My favorite all-time baseball memory. So I have, I have three quick ones and one's actually bad but it just was so memorable that it made one of the other ones on the list better um but the first one is i was a very young boy and got to be live to watch joe carter's home run in the sky dome um to watch the blue jays walk off and win the 92 uh 93 world series and that's that's about as loud as i've ever heard a building get um in my life so that that was pretty wild and then i would say and I think a lot of Red Sox fans would probably say this too, beating the Yankees in the ALCS in 2004 was almost a bigger deal. I remember, you know, I was at Springfield College at the time and I was a residence hall director in the all-male hall, in the all-male hall. and the ALCS was way more Looney Tunes to try to control and watch, watch the explosion than, than the World Series was. I'd say it was about three times as bad. And that's because of all that, that kind of frustration. And my most, the third is, is the moment that led up to that. And just because it was such a memorable moment and made that win mean so much, but the last super, super childish moment that I had as a semi-adult male, where I cried like an adult baby about a baseball game was Aaron Boone's walk-off the year before. I remember watching it in Lakeside Hall at Springfield College, and I literally walked in solitude with a hooded sweatshirt pulled up over my head with tears in my eyes. I just, I've never felt that helpless. Like what, how, how could that possibly happen? And I remember going to, to my girlfriend's apartment, now my wife, and her just being like, stay on the couch and just be a baby. You're being ridiculous, it's a baseball game. And luckily one of her apartment mates, um, her boyfriend also came up, uh, came over and he was an equally of rough shape, rough shape. So we had a little support group that night, but completely immature, totally poorly socially adjusted the whole nine yards. But that extreme disappointment made that, that victory the next year all the better. Yeah, nothing like the 2004 World Series. That's that's just locked into everybody's brains. Absolutely ridiculous that they were able to do that. And Unbelievable sports moment. 100%. 
Well, Hunter, thank you so much for joining us today. Best of luck with everything. We can't wait to see the Starfires tonight in Worcester for opening day. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. That was a lot of fun. This has been episode six of season three of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures Collegiate Baseball League. We have new episodes coming out every Monday and Thursday. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon. Mm -hmm.